This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, we're looking at chapter 2 this morning, verses 8 through 13. Continue our series of studies in 2 Timothy. Pick up today in chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Hear the word of God. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray. Open our eyes, Father, to your word, to see those things, to learn those things that you would have us to see and that you would have us to learn. Father, we come to your word this morning hungry. We come to your word this morning empty. We come to your word this morning needing to be, needing to be fed, needing to be filled, needing to be encouraged, needing to be challenged. And Father, we pray that uh, the preaching of your word would do that as it is accompanied by your Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Nothing that is worthwhile is ever easy. How many of you parents have ever said that to your children? Children, have your parents ever said that to you? Do you know why, children, your parents say that to you? It's because their parents said it to them. And so the things they said they would never say that their parents said to them, they find themselves saying to you, including the saying, nothing that is worthwhile is ever easy. And do you know why their parents said it to them and why they say it to you? And one day you will probably say it to your children. Do you know why? Because it's true. Nothing that's worthwhile is ever easy. Now, it's not Absolutely true, universally true. There are things that are worthwhile that are easy. Going for a walk, for example, certainly a worthwhile thing to do and not, not uh, terribly difficult. But it is true that those things that are worthwhile in the sense that it's those things that give us a sense of achievement, those things that give us victory, those things that lead to deep satisfaction, are almost always those things that require effort, that require 
hard work that require overcoming the temptation to quit, that require persevering often over the long haul. Those kinds of worthwhile things really are never easy. That's true in the Christian life. Living the Christian life, following Jesus, dealing with sin in our lives, growing in godliness, becoming more like Jesus is not easy, and it doesn't come quickly. Last week, we looked at some uh, different pictures, metaphors, that the Apostle Paul uses to illustrate that very thing. He says that the Christian life is like being a soldier. You have to recognize that there are going to be hard times. You need to recognize that there needs to be focus, a certain intensity, in following Jesus, if we're going to do it well. He points us to the picture of the athlete, uh, someone who trains hard, who also is focused, but competes according to the rules. He can't just go run the race his own way and do it however he wants. He has to compete by the rules if he's going to win the prize. Uh, He also uses the image of a farmer uh, who labors very hard, often uh, by himself, often with no witnesses to see his hard work. But the vindication, the reward of his effort is that crop that comes up, and he's entitled to the first fruits of it because it's his sweat, it's his sore muscles, it's his effort that has gone into producing that crop. And, And Paul uses those images to show us what it means to follow Christ, what it means to serve Christ, what it means to minister to one another in the name of Christ. Well, he continues that theme in our passage today, continuing to talk about the fact that the Christian life is not easy. It can be very hard sometimes. It can be discouraging sometimes. But it's also worth all the effort. Now, here he's not using so much images or metaphors as he's describing experience. Particularly, he describes the experience of Christ himself, He describes his own experience as an apostle, and he describes the experience of believers generally, of every Christian. So let's look at this passage uh, in those terms. First of all, in verse 8, he talks about uh, Christ's experience, what it was that that Christ experienced uh, in his ministry, in his Life as, as a way of inspiring us and showing us that the Christian life is not easy, but it is well worthwhile. So we look at Jesus, look at Christ. First of all, in verse 8, he begins by saying, remember Jesus Christ. Now, remember, he's writing this to Timothy. Uh, and he's not saying, he's not asking a question. You remember Jesus? Well, of course, Timothy remembers Jesus. This is, this is a command. This is an instruction. Timothy Remember, do not forget, but remember Jesus Christ. Now, why would he need to tell Timothy that? Well, because Paul knows that we can be prone to take our eyes off Jesus, especially if things are getting kind of difficult, kind of like Peter who got out of the boat in the storm, remember? And he was looking at Jesus, and he was walking to Jesus, but then he sees the waves, and he hears the thunder, and he looks around, and he gets afraid, and he begins to sink. Well, Timothy was experiencing some hard times, some trying times, and it would be easy to focus on those and lose sight of Jesus. In fact, even in the Old Testament, they were prone to forget 
uh, their God who had saved them. Uh, Moses warns them about this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, even way back then. He said, now, when you go into this land that the Lord swore to give to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you go into this land, and you get these, these great and good cities that you didn't build, and you move into these houses that are filled with all kinds of good things that you didn't put there, and when you dig, when you, when you find cisterns there that you did not dig, and when you have vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat, and when you are filled, take care that you do not forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now there, the concern was that they would get, just get settled in the promised land, things would be good, and they would forget about God. But it can work the other way, too, that we get so caught up in difficulties that we begin to forget the Lord who saved us. Israel forgot. We tend to forget. In fact, John Stott has a great warning. Let me just read it to you because he words it so well. He says, even so, the church has often forgotten Jesus Christ, absorbing itself instead now in barren theological debate, now in purely humanitarian activity, now in its own petty parochial business. We tend to get focused on other things. He's right. Now, theological activity is good, not barren theological activity, and Stott would acknowledge that. Uh, humanitarian activity and the love of Christ is good. He would acknowledge that. And certainly the church has to tend to its own business within but the tendency is we become fixated on these other things, maybe good in themselves, and begin to forget the whole reason we're doing it. The very heart of the gospel, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus knew our tendency to forget. That's why he gave us the Lord's Supper. That regular reminder of a Savior who loved us, who died for us, and whose grace is sufficient for us. And so he begins by saying, remember, Timothy, remember, believer, Jesus Christ. Remember your Savior. Don't get your eyes taken away from him. Two things in particular that the apostle wants us to remember. First of all, remember that Jesus lives. Risen from the dead. Remember that he lives. Jesus suffered the worst of persecution. What is the worst that this world can do to us? Kill us. They did that to Jesus. Three days later, he was back. And that's true of you, believer. Paul writes this to Timothy to remind him, look, no matter what they throw at you, even if they put you to death, remember that your Savior was, was crucified, he was persecuted to death, and he was raised on the third day. He's defeated death. The worst they can do to you ultimately can't hurt you. God raised Christ. God can raise you. And he will. You'll be with him, your soul, and he'll raise your body when he returns. So remember, Christ is the victor over man's persecution, and we in him. And he writes that to Timothy. But also he says, not only remember that Jesus lives, and we too will live in him and do live in him now, but also remember that Jesus reigns. Notice what he says. The offspring of David. 
Why does, he, why does he put that expression there? Remember that Jesus is raised. Also remember that he is the offspring of David. He is in the line of David. He is a king who reigns. So two things to remember when things are not going well. One, even the worst this world can throw at you ultimately cannot hurt you because we serve a risen Savior. And even as we live in this world, we live under and serve a reigning Savior. Life is not out of control. It may appear to be from our point of view, but our Savior reigns and our Savior is in control. Timothy needed to know that. You and I need to know that. Christ's experience teaches us those things. So let me ask you this, Christian. Where in your life right now have you forgotten Jesus? Where have you taken your eyes off of Jesus? Maybe it is in the face of death. Fear of death or concern of death for you, but maybe even the experience of the death of those you love or somebody you care about. Well, we need to recognize that Christ has defeated death. We need, especially in the face of death, not to take our eyes off our living, off our risen Savior. Far too often, though, we tend to take our eyes off Jesus, not so much in eternal matters like death, but just in the smaller day-to-day practical matters of life. Where have you forgotten not only that Jesus lives, but where in your life have you forgotten that Jesus reigns? That he is our sovereign king, and not just ours, but the ruler over this world. That there's nothing that happens, not only apart from his control, but ultimately apart from his decree. So where have you forgotten? Where have you taken your eyes off Jesus? We need to remember that he lives. We need to remember that he reigns, just as Timothy did. Paul reminds him, and he reminds us of those things. So Christ's own experience teaches us that the Christian life will not be easy. Christ's life was not easy, but worthwhile, yes. Second, Paul's own experience as an apostle. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, but then he also says uh, that this is the same Christ he preached in his gospel, verse 9. He tells us of his suffering, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Now, Paul is always very upfront about his condition for the gospel, and, and he certainly is with Timothy here. Uh, he refers to the gospel, he says, for which I am suffering. This is not going through the motions. Paul is suffering. This is hard for him. And notice, he says, I'm bound with chains as a criminal. The word there is, is an evildoer. The only other time this word occurs in the New Testament that Paul uses here of himself, that I am chained like some sort of malefactor, like some sort of criminal, like an evildoer. The only other place that that word occurs in the New Testament is of the criminals crucified with Jesus. And Paul says, I'm suffering, I am in prison, I'm bound in chains like, like an evildoer. Now, why was Paul in prison? Well, for his testimony for the gospel, for preaching Christ. And yet, in the eyes of the authorities, that is an evil thing. And he is in prison for it. 
We need to recognize that as believers, we may serve and we may live and we may do with the utmost good intentions, benevolent motivations, and the world may see you as an evildoer. It did Paul. He says, I'm chained here like some sort of common criminal. Paul's life was hard. Was it worthwhile? Absolutely. We're benefiting from it here today in this letter that he wrote from prison to his disciple Timothy, and as it's recorded in the scripture that he wrote for us. But notice what he goes on to say. I am bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. It cannot be bound. It cannot be stopped. God's people might be stopped. Individual soldier of the cross like Paul might be chained up in prison. But the gospel is never bound. The gospel continues. And so he's encouraged by that. He's he's motivated by that. And not only is this, he tells us here, his suffering, but his purpose in suffering. Notice what he says in verse 10. Therefore, because the word of God is not bound, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I wish, I wish somehow God would just put in me, in my heart, that same zeal, that same compassion, that same fervency, that same sense of lostness for those who are outside of Christ that Paul had. Pray, Lord, cultivate that in me. Paul says, I endure everything. I'm willing to be chained up. I'm willing to be beaten and left for dead. I'm willing to be mocked. I'm really willing to be you know, contradicted. All of this, I endure all this for the sake of the elect. Those whom God has out there that he is going to draw to himself. And he is going to draw to himself through my preaching, through my ministry, Paul says. Through yours too. Paul was very conscious that there were those out there who were God's elect that God was going to save. And he was going to do it through Paul's suffering, his purpose there. Now, when he talks about I endure everything for the sake of the elect, we tend to think suffering as a result of trying to reach the elect. And that is part of it. Because of his missionary efforts, his gospel efforts, he suffered. That was a consequence of it. But I think underlying that is not just consequence but cause, that it is precisely Paul's suffering that is a way of reaching the elect. Now, Paul speaks to this in Philippians chapter 1. In verse 12, he writes to the Philippians, also writing from prison in Rome. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul sees his imprisonment as a way of getting the gospel out. And it encouraged, it inspired other believers who would say, wow, you know, if Paul's willing to go even to prison for the sake of the gospel, certainly I can, I can do that too. I can, I can be more bold, just like 
Paul was. And of course, he talks about those who take advantage of his imprisonment to get out there themselves in in an envious way, in a competitive way. And Paul says, I really don't care if it's me or somebody else, as long as the gospel is being proclaimed. So his very imprisonment, uh, it was a cause of, of the gospel going forward, both in terms of uh, it inspiring others uh, as his example, but also simply the circumstance. Sometimes it was where Paul was apprehended and imprisoned that he had the opportunity to speak of the gospel. Think, of course, of the Philippian jailer. Uh, they were in jail. They were being held. Uh, of course, God brought this earthquake that allowed them to go, and they remained. And the Philippian jailer, who's awed by all of this, says, what must I do to be saved? And they have the opportunity to tell him of, of Christ. So whether it's the circumstance of being in prison or simply the, the example of Paul's willingness to suffer, it was a means of reaching, as he says, the elect, so that they also may obtain, also along with Paul, and others, may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul is willing to do this because he recognizes that as the elect are drawn to Christ, the consequences, the results are eternal. This glory in Christ Jesus, this salvation, this forgiveness of sins, this reconciliation with God, all of this, that will have eternal consequence. Everything we do that's legitimate, that God has called us to do, is important. Whatever the work is that God has called you to do and placed you in, in this world, is important. It has significance. It is your calling, and you glorify God in it. But we also go back and think, what am I doing that will have eternal consequences? Well, doing your job well, whatever that calling might be, will have eternal consequences because God... Uh, will honor that, acknowledge that, reward you for your faithfulness in that calling and in that place where he has put you. But Paul is excited about the fact that this suffering, as miserable as it is, will result in people coming to faith in Christ and enjoying glory for all eternity. What do we do that truly lasts for all eternity? Bringing people to Christ is one of them. Is it hard? Yes. Is it worthwhile? Yes. That's the testimony of Paul's experience. So we see from Christ's experience, see from Paul's experience as an apostle, that the Christian life can be difficult, but it is worthwhile. And then finally, the believer's experience generally. Look uh, at, at verse 11. Paul says, the saying is trustworthy for, what saying? Well, the one he quotes. Well, he's not quoting scripture. This isn't something from the Old Testament. Probably it was some sort of uh, ritual or maybe part of a hymn, uh, possibly a baptismal uh, ritual or hymn uh, that Paul is quoting. And when he quotes it, he says, this is reliable. This is true. This is trustworthy. It's not scripture, but it is a trustworthy saying. What is it? Well, it basically has two parts to it. It's a word to the faithful. In verse 11 and the first part of verse 12, uh, if we've died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So the faithful, we died with him, we will live with him. Now, died with him is, is a, a tense in Greek that indicates a, a one-time event. 
which probably has to do with our dying with Christ, his death as our death, our dying to sin and to this life and our being raised with him through our union with him and his resurrection to a new life. It's, it's what Paul talks about more at length in Romans 6, right? Our union with Christ where we participate in his death and resurrection, which is why Paul can say we are new creations in Christ Jesus. But it goes on. If we died with Christ, then we die with him each day. We read earlier uh, our, our New Testament reading that we read earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's what Paul is saying. That's what he says about his life and his ministry, being in jars of clay. He says, we're afflicted, not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. See, we did die with Christ then, and we were raised with him, but as a Christian, especially a Christian who wants to be influential in the lives of others for Christ, it does mean dying daily, a kind of death, to our ambitions, to serving ourselves, even to our comforts, to our ease. You want a ministry like Paul's? Be ready to pay for it. Notice what Paul Paul goes on to say, verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Serving Christ in a way that has an effect on the lives of others requires your dying that they might live. And so Paul is saying you're certainly referring to what happened with us in Christ, but also the outworking of that, that we die daily so that others might live. And not only that, he says, if we endure for him, we will reign with him. Again, verse 12, verse part. Notice the two parts. Die with him, live with him, endure with him, will reign with him. It goes back to what he said that we need to remember about Jesus. He's raised from the dead and he reigns. Do you want to live with him? Be faithful. Do you want to reign with him? Endure for him. So word to the faithful. It can be hard. As he says, uh, we die. We have to endure. But the reward is we live. We will reign with him. Hard, yes. Worthwhile, yes. A word of the faith, less. A word of the false. In verse 12b, second part of verse 12 and verse 13. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. That may strike you as jarring. Is that sort of a, 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 a hopeful note there at the end? Well, it's really not. Because of what Paul adds, where he cannot deny himself. I think that's, we need to take that negatively because it's parallel is he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Now, Paul probably has in mind here the words of Jesus where he says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my father. Whoever denies me, I will deny him. 
And when Paul says he's faithful, and the saying says he's faithful, he cannot deny himself. I think he's referring there to Jesus' warning that if we deny him, he will deny us. He's faithful. I think the point is not so much in the face of our unfaithfulness, but he's faithful to his own word, his own promises, his own warnings, his own character. He can't go back on his word. He can't act in a manner contrary to his own character. So if we are faithless to him, he remains faithful to his warning. Because he cannot deny himself. He can't just act contrary to what he has promised or to what he has warned. And so there is a word here to those who are false, to those who deny Jesus. Now, what if you're worried about saying, well, you know, I should have spoken up for Jesus. I should have made it known I was a Christian. Did I deny him? Is he going to deny me? Well, the very fact you're concerned about it is, is good. Uh, certainly something maybe to confess and seek his forgiveness for. After all, even Peter himself denied Jesus. And Jesus forgave him and Jesus restored him. Uh, the point here has to do with your heart, of course. Is this a heart that may have denied Jesus but aches, that yields tears as Peter's did when he recognized what he'd done, the enormity of it? Or is denying Jesus something you can do lightly or carelessly as long as it doesn't mean any kind of suffering or any kind of difficulty for you? Where is your heart? But we don't want to make it a habit. Don't want to make it a habit of denying Jesus, either actively or even passively, by failing to be recognized and counted as one of Christ's own. Because this is a dire warning. He cannot deny himself. You know, in exercise, there's that awful saying, no pain, no gain. The principle, of course, is if you don't press the limits at least a little bit, you're not going to gain anything. And, and that's true, although certainly you don't want to overdo that. Now, in the Christian life, that principle applies as well. However, I think it's better phrased this way, no cross, no crown. No cross, no crown. That, after all, was Jesus' experience. First the cross, then the crown. That was the Apostle Paul's experience. The cross, the crown. And dear Christian brother or sister as a follower of Christ, that will be your experience as well. You will share Christ's cross. The good news is, and what makes it all worthwhile, is you will share Christ's crown. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. And Lord, as Paul meant them to encourage Timothy, uh, we pray that they would encourage us. I pray, Father, that they would encourage me to be faithful, to be willing to suffer difficulty, hardship, whatever that might look like, knowing, Lord, that in your grace and in your goodness, because of the victory of Christ, because he lives, because he reigns, it will all be worthwhile. You will see to it. We thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen.